Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we finally, we did it. We conclude the series. Today is the seventh of the seven Stevens. We're talking to Steve Hillage. Now, if anyone doesn't know, Steve's Hillage, Steve Hillage's career is an absolute trip. Fifth, over 50 years ago, he starts out in this band Gong, which are one of the trippiest prog bands around at the time and he becomes very well known for his guitar playing which carries him into a solo career and beyond for a while he puts out albums that are produced by uh nick mason todd rundgren this song right here is called searching for the spark off of what is probably his best known album motivation radio he becomes this super spacey psychedelic guitar wizard for a while and then he kind of starts to transition into production so of course in that part we talk about simple minds we always got to talk about simple minds uh real life cock robin the charlatans arthur brown tony banks all these other people and uh and then <laughs> as if that's not enough he eventually becomes known as system seven or he starts kind of a tech well anyway he's a techno guy He's this DJ, and he goes around the world as System 7 doing deep trance techno music. So from this, from like the weirdest of prog rock to the spaciest of techno, Steve Hillage has done a little bit of everything. He is like this mad space cadet genius. It's wild. Anyway, so this completes it. We had Steve Lillywhite, Steve Street, Steve Levine, um, Steve Taylor, Stephen Haig, Steve Lipson, um, that might be all of them. Anyway, whatever it is, this, we, this is the seventh of the seven Stevens. We got him and I hope you enjoy this. I have been, I've gotten a lot of recommendations for Steve Hillage over the years. And it's interesting. It's always from a certain type of person. And it's always somebody who like Steve bridges this gap of appreciating super weird out there prog music but also loves techno i guess there's some similarities there as far as just you know spacing out completely anyway thanks to all of you and thanks to steve for talking with me he called me from his home in somerset england which is right by glastonbury okay so there's a lot i want to cover and a lot of it is your production work as well as your solo work but i have a question about your solo work first because i've always had this theory Whenever I listen to motivational radio, motivation radio, yeah, it suddenly lost my suddenly left my head. Whenever I listen to motivation radio, I always think to myself, this sounds like a white British guy who has just been very influenced by maggot brain, and I wondered if I'm by onto by, by, uh, by maggot brain, George Clinton, and. Uh, Funkadelic, or is it Parliament? Yeah, or Funkadelic, Funkadelic was yeah. part of the part of the thing. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if that was an influence for you at that point, because that album is really funky. Well, it was definitely something because uh, we we um, we came to know Parliament and Funkadelic, and because we were in this crazy band called Gong, mm -hmm. we felt it was a kind of like a link there. Uh -huh. you know, really, you know, a link between Gong and 
Parliament Funkadelic? Well, we, we thought they were kind of like a black gong, you oh. know, because that whole thing about the mothership and everything. True. True. And we and they were very they were very tripped out, and we thought yeah. they were, we thought they were pretty pretty great actually. But I mean, my interest in sort of punk and sort of black American music goes back for way further than oh, that. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. Learning guitar, I was obviously studying blues players, mm -hmm. and I I've always been a massive fan of Jimi Hendrix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about Motown? I can't get enough Motown. That's yeah, still just Motown, about the most love, perfect music I love ever. Motown, the Four Tops, the Temptations, yeah. you know. And but there's another factor in in that as well is that we had a very good friend who was developing a PA system, technical mm. PA system, that later became quite successful. It's first called Turbo Sound, and now it's called Function One. Mm. But when he was developing his first speakers, we were like testing them out. And he used to throw these parties in this farm in the south of England. This was in sort of 74, 75. Yeah. And he was an absolute total funk freak. He was playing like funk music really loud on, on his PA systems. Mm -hmm. We were taking sort of like psychedelic mushrooms and things <laughs> and getting, it was almost like sort of proto raves, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was a real big influence as well. And I just felt I wanted to get a bit of that groove into my music. And yeah. uh, obviously uh, the next big thing was with Motivation Radio was meeting Malcolm Cecil. Oh, tell me why. Well, because he was an, an electronic artist that I was already a really big, massive fan of through uh, Tonto's Expanding Headband oh, yeah. project. This record, Zero Time, was something we, we used to play a lot when we were in Gong. And then I followed him and I realised he produced Stevie Wonder. And then when we were in L.A. preparing for our tour we did in early 77, supporting ELO, I met a, a journalist. He said, oh, I'm a friend of Malcolm Cecil. Would you like to meet him? I said, my God, I'd really like to meet him, you know, because I, I, I really, you know, rate this guy, you know. Yeah. So we went over to his studio and he had his Tonto set up there. This is in Santa Monica. Mm. And we thought, we just got to make a record with this guy, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and, and he, yeah. he got together a load of musicians from the people who he's using on sessions for Stevie Wonder and other things he was doing. and. Yeah, that's that's how it all came about. Wow, yeah. When I, um, you know, not so much on the the first couple of albums, but by the time Motivation Radio comes around, and a little bit of uh, on Green too. But I'm wondering, maybe Nick Mason had a stronger hand in that. But I just feel like somebody. You are. I'm imagining you having your face melted by Eddie Hazel around that time, and thinking, oh, yeah. I oh, wanted Eddie more of that. Hazel. Yeah, there's one. There's one track of his. I forget the title of it, but I've. Uh, I still have a desire to do a cover of it. Really? Whenever I do another Steve Hillage rock <laughs> album, I'm going to do there a cover go. of Eddie Hazel, Eddie Hazel's song. The late, great Eddie the Hazel. The late, great, absolutely. Yeah. So tell me then about Green. When, when you, I just saw Nick Mason in concert a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I don't think of him when I think of funk, but he is probably the most kind of cerebral, maybe member of Pink Floyd. What was it like working with him, and why was he the perfect guy for for you at that point? 
Well, we already were with him before because he produced his gong album, Shamal. Oh, that's right. The okay. album after David Allen left. It was a sort of transitional album. And uh, Miquette and myself were in the process of leaving the band as well. So it was a sort of somewhat difficult period. But mm-hmm. Nick was a producer. And so I got to meet him then. And we, we got on really well. And uh, moving forward, I mean, the Motivation Radio album was a bit, was kind of ambitious in a way. Because there's a lot of kind of like what you call prog rock fans who are thinking like, Steve, what's the matter with you, man? Why are you playing this disco, you know? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And uh, I said, that's because I'm what into, man. That's what I'm into. Yeah. I don't want, you know. But I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll make a more more sort of overtly psychedelic album. Mm. And and I had the band of Joe Blocker and also Curtis Robertson who – they, they were like the Motivation Rodeo Band. They were over in the, in the UK mm. after our tour. And I thought, well, I had this extra other material. And uh, I thought, well, well, let's go in the studio and do a more, you know, a more psychedelic album, mm-hmm. but using the same funk rhythm section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, Virgin Records said, hey, why do you, do, you, do you want to work with Nick Mason? He's up for working wow. with you again. And I said, yeah, perfect. Yeah. perfect. yeah. You know, so we just sort of, it just all came together really quickly. Okay. And it just, just felt right, you know. What's he like as a producer? Is he domineering? Does he have strong opinions? Does he kind of let you do your thing and want to help you? What's it? What's it like? He was pretty like, you know, he wasn't sort of as like dominating as someone like Todd Rundgren. He's my next question. Yes. He had okay. A, he had a, you know, he knew mm-hmm. what he wanted it to sound like. He was he was really good. I mean, I learned good. a lot from him. You know. Okay. So. My next bit was going to be about Todd Rundgren. Tell me about working with that. That's quite, I mean, to go from Todd and his work ethic on L, and then I don't know, I don't remember who did Motivation Radio, but to basically put out Malcolm like a pro. Cecil, Malcolm Cecil. That's, that's the guy right. I'm, okay. Malcolm Cecil. Yes, Todd you're right. The expanding headband CV Wonder guy. That's right. So you're in like this fog pro, uh, funk prog mode, and then green. Again. Yeah. Start so again. T- tell me about working with Todd. What's he like then? 
Well, that was a uh, that was another. Uh, I've had a lot of um, pretty good luck in my story, actually. I'm I'm, mm -hmm. I'm I'm quite happy about that. I'm quite happy, chap. And you should I've be. Good, good luck stories. And um, Todd was. Uh, I first heard him with the Naz. That was mm -hmm. it. I thought well, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was sh sharing a flat in London with a gentleman called Chris Cutler who had a very sort of avant-garde British band called Henry Cow. Mm. And um, he was a massive Todd Rundgren fan. And he turned me on to something, anything. And then a Wizard True Star came out and I became a bit of a fan. And I actually went to see uh, Todd playing with Utopia while I, while I was still in Gong. I went, went, just as a fan, I went to a gig and I loved mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And then he came out, Todd came out with this record, Initiation, mm -hmm. which wasn't universally loved, but I thought it was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. I thought, wow, this is a real light-minded uh, <laughs> artist, you know. And then um, I left Gong and um, I was uh, working on songs for a new album. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then... The, the A&R guy from Virgin rang up and he said, uh, hey, Steve, what do you think about Todd Rungan producing you? He's up for it. I thought, you know, is the Pope a Catholic, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, two weeks later, we were on the plane. And that, wow. <laughs> that's wow. how it happened. So and who, we, we, oh, we had, time I'd gone to America, so it was always a bit of culture shock. And mm -hmm. we uh, turned up in... Um, after a couple of days in New York City, we went up to uh, Todd's place in uh, near Woodstock, Mink mm -hmm. Hollow. Yep, Bearsville, is that what it yeah, is? I mean, he, he, we actually were sleeping in the studio. He, he had a bedroom there for myself and my partner, McGett. Wow. And uh, oh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, he's Todd is a very um, – he's one of the producers where he's got a sound. Mm -hmm. And if you are produced by him – you get that sound, yeah, and he will make you give you that sound, and he'll make your music fit with that sound. I mean, I knew that from before. I was aware of what his work as a producer. Uh -huh. I know he clashed with some other artists subsequent to that on, for that yeah. same. But I basically I knew what I was getting, and I and I got it. I mean, Good. there was times where you know we we didn't agree about everything. Uh -huh. He had me a bit of a nuisance when he was mixing. You know, he didn't want me in the studio. I believe it. I was, I was, I was, I was getting in the way, you know. Yeah, but, I believe it. I mean, uh, I, it was great, you know. I really okay. enjoyed it. And he, he, he gave me a great gift with that album. I'm yeah. really, really grateful. And one thing that um, some people don't know is I, at one stage I was talking to Todd Runger about doing another album with him, producing me. Really? 19, in 1981. And uh, we, I actually spoke to him on the phone and he was up for it. And when I was thinking about getting some material together, but then that was the same time my, my producing work was going to become very yeah. interesting. And I had the opportunity to work with Simple Minds and people like that. So in the end, I, I made a decision. Okay, I'm going to put my solo stuff on hold for yeah. a bit. Yeah, concentrate on the producing, but I mean, yeah, you know, would have been I mean, another one. 
I've, I've got massive respect for Todd. You know, he's, he's still going. He's still he going. is. In fact, I saw him in concert a year ago today. Um, I, it popped up on my Facebook memories, and it was the Wizard of True Star show. So, yeah, I, he's great. I'm curious whose idea were some of the covers. There's Hurdy Gurdy Man, and then there's also All Too Much, which is my second favorite Beatles song. So I love that you did that one. Did you come to the sessions, you know, excited about doing those? Or were they worked out there? Oh, I, I was already intending to do those. I mean, I came with them. I came in my arrangements, and uh, and Todd thought they were, you know, great idea. He loved those yeah. songs as well, and he he was like, you know, we were we were we were buzzing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're but great. It, it, did, it did come from me. Those songs. Yeah. I mean, I. I'd I'd wanted to do it all too much for quite a while, and Hurdy Gurdy Man, I love the song, and, and I had the idea of doing that about for about a year. you know, know donovan i never met donovan no really huh i would have seen i could imagine you two kind of palling around i guess not yeah um, well you know he's, he's scottish i've got i've got some scottish ancestry true good point 
Okay. But I, Gertie Man, actually, the story is um, I always love that song. Yeah. And then, um, we were doing some gigs with Gong in 1975 in the city of Lyon in France. And we had a day off. And I went for a walk around the old city, really like these little old narrow streets, really old. And I found a music shop. And the guy in there was making hurdy-gurdy, which is the, 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 the absolute classic original one. They call it VL in French. So basically with a, a wheel, which is a bit like a bow, and yeah. these strings, and you turn the wheel and it vibrates the strings, and then these little wooden keys for making a kind of keyboard. Yeah. Like a really, um, like a, a mixture between a harmonium and violin. Yeah. And that's the actual ancient hurdy-gurdy, and he was making these things. And I spent all afternoon in there, like, like playing wow. and it, thinking, wow, this is such a cosmic thing with this wheel, you know, it's sort of, yeah. it's sort of awesome. I, 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 and I was thinking, well, I, I understand now where Gonovan got that idea from. <laughs> wow, I, I'd like to do my own version of that song. That's how I got the idea, basically. In no the, in the, way. <laughs> wow. Okay, I want to. I might get back into your solo stuff here in a minute, but I, I feel like we should talk about Lucifer Sam. My, so Arthur Brown was on here, you know, I talked about a year or two ago, and uh, he's such a funny, great guy. And, Arthur Brown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brown, yeah, respect, respect. Yes, he tips his hat. Yes, same here. So you and he collaborate on this Lucifer Sam single, which to, maybe I'm missing something, but it feels like you haven't picked up the guitar and played quite like this in a while. Um, no, that's not true because, okay. um, actually, um, and we haven't done this in America yet, but I've, um, in 2019, the year before COVID, uh -huh. I actually did a tour and some big gigs with a Steve Hillage band. Oh. Songs from my 70s albums, Fish Rising. Yeah. Motivation Radio and Green. So I'm, I'm I'm kind of like somewhat up to speed. Okay. So you're and, still uh, kind of doing both. Huh? You're still doing a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, we're running the Steve Hillage Band 
and our dance music project, System 7, has two parallel simultaneous projects mm. in it. It's working out okay. I mean, obviously, everything stopped in the yeah. lockdown. We actually had another tour booked in for 2020, and that all had to be cancelled, which was really like difficult actually but we 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 do in fact have another tour going and it's uh -oh. going to be in March and April next year in the UK nice. a big tour. and right. uh, so you know I am you know I'm playing yeah. like that quite a lot good for you good for yeah. you you and Arthur go way back right did have you maintained a friendship all this time and that's why he called on you to work with him I, I know him quite well i wouldn't say i know him really closely but we we have a good acquaintance but one big connection is that my very first band khan uh, my first professional band wasn't the very first band i had but the very first professional band khan the bass player was a gentleman called nick greenwood who was in fact the original bass player of the crazy world of arthur brown oh. so we have a connection from and we did some gigs with our band and arthur brown we, he had a new band and by that time called kingdom come mm -hmm. and uh yeah no um, we know each other old mates yeah um oh, I but, incidentally i thought his his rendition of lucifer sam was absolutely brilliant oh me it too. Was a, an absolute gas to play on that. I really, really enjoyed it. I and totally they, agree. They got, they got um, Nick Pace to play the drums. Ian Pace, sorry, big part. Oh, Ian wow. Played the drums on it, and he was brilliant as well. So, yeah. In fact, the version I was sent, it didn't have Ian Pace on it, and it was, it was okay, but. Then they sent me a version with Ian Pacey's drums on it. It was actually fantastic. All these yeah. legends on yeah. one song. That's incredible. Um, uh, now, tell me why you transitioned to System 7. I mean, it. the thing I can imagine is that the, the consistent thread through a lot of your music uh, feels like space ex exploration or something, you know, uh, psychedelic, expanding the mind, furthering the, your vision to outer space and what's possible and what's out there. And I wonder if you just eventually got to the point where the way to explore that most effectively is through electronic dance music. Well, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, factors involved, but in the uk there was a definite movement in the 80s from quite a few what you might call veterans of the psychedelic scene mm. just sort of moved into electronic music we just, just we just decided that was the place to be you know yeah and this this was even before acid house it was before it became a big thing there was already a kind of movement going on and it was you know people who used to like German rock music in the seventies, like Noi and things like yeah. that. And uh, I mean, I'll tell you a little story. One little story I tell to other people. Um, when we were, when I was in Gong in the sort of like what, what some people call the classic period, uh -huh. an amazing drummer, this French drummer called Pierre Merlin, and he he played on the Angels Egg album, on the U album. And he really was one of the best. Drum, drummer's gong ever had 
And um, we used to jam a lot because we lived in this house in the country and, and we had a me really good music room. And so we used to spend a lot of time, most of our time just in the music room, just jamming and working out new tracks and experimenting with sounds. And I was got really into playing with echo guitar, echo guitar rhythm loops, mm -hmm. you know. This is like 73 here. Um, working out these phrases, echo guitar rhythm loops, very, very tight. You get into a kind of wormhole with it, and it gets very, very trippy. It's like a musical mandala, you know. Uh -huh. I love it. And um, obviously he'd be drumming away with it, with the groove, and it was a really a great sound. But sometimes his tempo would move a bit. You know, and whereas uh -huh. with the echo, you want it to be absolutely rock, rock solid. So I'd say to him, I'd say like, Pierre, you know, can you kind of, can like, try and keep the tempo like really accurate with the echoes, you know? And and he would go to me like, Steve, you want me to, you know, play like a machine? <laughs> I'm thinking, what? That's a good idea. <laughs> Machines, yeah, that's maybe that. Yeah. So, a lot of it stems from that, actually. Craftwork would want that, right? Yeah, another like, story, more like a another story, I'll tell you another story as well. Please. Is, um, I'd say I've told quite a few people. Is, um, we were doing a Steve Hillage band tour in... Um, one of many in 78, and we were playing in we decided we wanted to play in smaller venues because we felt we were getting too big and losing. We were losing contact with the fans. And we were in this uh, club venue in the West of England. And there was a, a DJ playing before us this is in 1978. And he had quite a good sound system. And somehow or other, he'd got hold of a pre-release copy of the Kraftwerk Man Machine album. This is before mm -hmm. it was released, before anyone ever heard it. First time we'd ever heard it. And he was playing these tracks. And the kids in the crowd, there's quite a few young people, they were dancing to it. And they were really getting off on it. You know, like We Are The Robots and Space Lab. And I'd never seen anything like that before. I, I was associated German German electronic and cyclic music was sitting cross-legged with a big... <laughs> Big joint, you know, and with headphones, and you know, this, this was like I'd never seen anything like this. And I went to the dressing room and I, I got my cat and I said, My cat, they're dancing to craft work, it's amazing. She came out, she said, Good God, it was like a eureka moment. And I had this vision of the future. I was thinking, Well, blimey, this is gonna, this is gonna be, this is gonna be massive. Yeah, yeah, the thing is, the sound, the sound coming out of the speakers, it was loud and clear and the bass notes and the bass drums are coming out like sort of sonic eggs and yeah. geometrical shapes you didn't have any feeling that there was people there at all it was just this sort of musical sculpture and yet people were going nuts to it and it was just a you know we thought really wow like, and you thought i gotta be a part of something we can do here there's definitely yeah. something we can do here you know that was in 78 you know so as things gradually progressed, um, it came to a point where we just thought, well, that's that's what we're going to do. We're going to yeah. take our sounds, some of our sounds we've all, we've still used, our psychedelic sounds like glissando guitar and the way we kept play synthesizer, and then we're going to do it with dance beats. And I sort of 
you know, I, I've studiously learned the technique of dance music production, and uh, yeah, we got pretty good. You did. <laughs> I it's not, it's not the only thing I do. I still like playing with a band. Of course, of course. I, 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 some people find that hard. They think you know. No, even now, I mean, I mean, we 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 we're announcing the new the new tour next March for Steve Hillage Band, and I've got fans writing to me so oh steve what's happening have you stopped doing system seven I said, no <laughs> we can the system things in parallel oh, you know it's not a problem we can, it's really not a problem the system seven people aren't get nervous when you pick up back up the guitar and the steve hillage band people get nervous when you put down the guitar right um well i think the there's a there's a we've got a we've got a really good core of supporters who have Good. followed us in our journey and they're they're into both things like like we are yeah but there's obviously within it in the sort of uh prog rock world there is a sort of residual what you might call conservative group of people who, yeah. who, who can't hack it with dancing they think it's like a load of rubbish you know and of course nothing will change their opinion but yeah. i mean you know, they still like my guitar playing so fair enough Good. I think uh, the, the System 7 fans who are really into System they, they just want to make sure we keep doing it, you know, which yeah. we will. Yeah. Love it. We love it. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know quite how to say this, Steve. I don't mean to break it to you, but you're not really a young man anymore. And I think when I think of electronic dance music, it feels like a young man's game. And yet you're still out there in your 70s or whatever, DJing raves, traveling the world. You know, making this kind well, of music, well, there's well, not well, that many is, doing it, it like that. It isn't. It isn't. Well, we're 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 aware of this. In fact, you know, most of the top DJs who've been around for a while are not teenagers either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> are they in their seventies though? Uh, some of them are. A few okay. of them are. I mean, okay. but certainly it's early fifties and sixties. Okay. You know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, you know. Okay. But you're right there competing. I had, uh, I mean, obviously if we, if we do a gig and we've got a lot of young people there, it's great. We love yeah. it. I had, uh, ben don't want to exclusively appeal to older people. True. No, well, absolutely. People, human yeah. beings. <laughs> yeah. Do you see a lot of people, your age group at the raves you play? Uh, fair, fair number. Okay. You know, it's, okay. It's not exclusively young person's thing, particularly because yeah. you know when the the great age of um, when dance music really exploded, eighty eight, eighty nine, and early nineties. I mean, a lot of the people who were loving it then they're they're, they're pushing sixty now. Good point. Just, yeah. And rolls along. Good point. Yeah. Um. I talked to Ben Watkins from Juno Reactor a while ago, and well, um, yeah, ben, Ben's not Ben's not a teenager. <laughs> no, he's not. No, <laughs> no. He's but he's uh, uh, you know, not a teenager either. No, right? you've been both. You've been on here too. Very true. You guys have your finger on. I the mean, now we, we maybe uh, Mick and I maybe a little bit older than those guys, but I mean, we don't still doing we, it. We feel very much in the same sort of uh, sphere, you know. Yeah. So and we're, we're 
we're aware we're not we're not teenagers yeah but you're still making it work now i have um we have some patreon supporters and i always let them know who i'm interviewing and if they want to submit questions they can you mentioned maquette philip hopwood one of our listeners just he had a number of stories and questions because he's a big fan of yours but one of them was what i mean you and maquette have been together for decade i mean for you're one of the long running partnerships musically and romantically in history and music you know what's at the core of your relationship i think the core of our relationship is that we're we're really very different people really and we 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 kind of entertain each other yeah our differences i think that's the basic and, and we give each other a lot of space yeah and uh, that's that's kind of what's made it work basically i mean you know i'm english she's french mm -hmm. i'm male she's female mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i'm leo she's aquarius it's the opposite sign okay. you know all kinds of things like that yeah and uh, you know i i can't i can't second guess what she's going to think about something you know I, yeah it's unpredictable As she, a finds musical me, she finds me uh tediously predictable actually <laughs> well by now after all these years um but as a musical partner um she's very much it feels like in a lot of ways you're equal about a lot of this stuff what is it how do you, when you say that you two are different what are the strengths that you're each bringing to the table that's making the whole we entertain each other is I mean, that I, it he does yeah. She likes she likes what I do, and we we yeah. kind of like you know, yeah, you know, entertain each other. It's about, about the best way of putting it. Okay, um, and it seems to work. You know, she's great at starting. Uh, she's great at starting tracks. She comes up with lots of really like ideas I've never thought of. You know, she yeah. started stuff. I think she's in another room in the house right now <laughs> on her keyboards working on new stuff. Probably. And uh, luckily, uh, particularly through my uh, long work as a record producer, I'm pretty good at finishing stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's often what happens. She starts stuff and I finish it. Right. Um, a load of guitar on it. <laughs> of course. Um, where do you guys live? Well, right now we're living, uh, I'm speaking to you from Somerset in the west of england which okay. is uh, we're, we're in um right out in the countryside near to the town of glastonbury where they have the big oh, fest sure uh-huh didn't you have a hand in creating glastonbury um i've been involved in the organization at various points okay fallings out with them at various points but it happens. We played there. We played there well on twenty times now. So, no we, way. We know it pretty well. In fact, what was really interesting, we 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 moved down here. We're basically we were based in London. Uh huh. We kept come from Nice in the south of France. We we're basically city people, but in the lockdown, uh, we just had an opportunity to get out of London just when the lockdown was starting. Mm -hmm. And we ended up down here, and we loved it down here. So we decided to sort of stay there. We got a permanent place. Yeah. And uh, funnily enough, last uh, earlier this year, we played at Glastonbury with System Seven. 
Oh. Doing a fantastic gig. Uh-huh. And then we just uh, packed our gear up, got in the car, and went home. <laughs> it was <fantastic>. <laughs> Never <laughs> done that before. That's surreal. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have to stay in the festival, didn't have to get a camper van. Didn't... No. You're in home. your own bed that night. That's <laughs> <laughs> about 20 minutes, 20 minutes away. Yeah. Wow. Do you guys have kids? No, we don't have kids. It was didn't happen for us. Yeah. As a father of three, I can tell you that that might be why you're as successful as you are, because some of us with kids, it's not as easy. I know people with kids who've been very, you know, as well I, I i can't really say it just i know i'm just kidding something that just didn't 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 happen yeah right? i understand um okay i want to ask you about some of your production work um two in particular so one of the main motivators for contacting you was not only the arthur brown story but i recently read this really great book on simple minds themes for great cities in fact i had the author on here a few months ago to talk oh about yeah it. he wrote really good I, I, yeah i did a i did an extensive interview with him for his book you did graham, graham he's called I graham thompson graham yep. thompson yeah yep and uh, simple minds are one of my favorite bands ever and the Albums you worked on, Sister Feelings Call and Sons of Fascination, I think those were the only two, which are sort of yeah. also considered one, are, uh, that's my second favorite Simple Minds album. Oh, thank After you. After Empires and Dance. Yes, so good. Yeah, that's how uh, Empires and Dance is wicked. Yes. So that, from what I can tell, I think is one of your first, if not your first, true production credit of somebody that was... It wasn't my first. No, I'd done I'd done about four, half a dozen projects before. And I was the first sort of big one. Oh, okay, like, okay. How did you get selected, and what was it like making that? that one? Okay. Yeah, how did you get selected, and what was it like working on that project? Um. <clears throat> well. Um, I wonder if you and Would you Jim like loving. Sorry, huh? go ahead. I was wondering if maybe you and Jim both loving that Krautrock German stuff that you were mentioning well, that, a minute that ago. Was something that was definitely a, 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 a quite a big factor. You know, <laughs> they they had come away from a a very creative but slightly frustrating period when they had their own label and it was released on Arista, and then a got out of that and they've got this new deal with virgin and everything was like opening up from them and uh i was invited to meet them and we just got on really really well you know and the fact that um i knew some of the they were really into sort of german 70s music in fact i knew some of the people involved was kind of like, i don't know <laughs> that gave me quite a lot of kudos i bet it did and uh i don't know we just we just hit it off and they wanted to do something kind of different uh, i was very um i must say i was very taken with their live sound i went to yeah. see them and i said well after i met them i said well look the first thing is i want to come see you on a gig so i went up to scotland it was a gig in glasgow and i was really blown away by it but particularly the, the sort of hypnotic feeling in the way they yeah. were playing and their connection with the crowd 
and yet the fact that it was a very up uplifting thing as well as having a dark side it had a very uplifting thing and i i just felt that that, that feeling hadn't really um manifested on the previous records so I, that was my main aim was to get that live yeah. feeling. i think i managed it pretty well you sure did the thing that i've always found interesting about them especially during this period because they didn't stick with it for too long is like what does sons and fascination even mean what does sister feelings call even mean jim was putting together these and the book details this really nicely just these various thoughts or ideas or even words and mushing them together like maybe a david bowie might have done or omd were doing similar things words that shouldn't be related to one another but he puts them together in a way where they create new ideas new definitions new thoughts you've never had before it's really revolutionary i think anyway what was it were you were you cognizant of this did you think it was weird at the time or were Absolutely. you kind of on board yeah, I, mean, I mean jim and particularly at that time he's working very much like an in, impressionist painter yeah you know? good point and um but as well i mean it was i mean it was actually in some respects a sort of source of some frustration he was quite he wouldn't come up with the lyrics until quite late on in the process yeah so we were working on the tracks as like instrumentals uh thinking what might jim do here what might jim do there not knowing what he actually would do but i remember some absolutely incredible moments like the moment when he he, he came to me he said steve i want to do the Entrancer's Mission vocal. I can't remember what we called it. We had it some different title to it then. I said, yeah, you ready? He said, yeah, I'm ready, man. And so I got the engine and said, look, stop everything. Jim wants to do his vocal on that track. And he just went in the studio and it was just like one take. I'd never heard that vocal. And I'm telling you, my hairs oh. and my were lifted up. I was like freaking out, like looking at the recorder, like, fuck me. Like, uh -huh. recording this. I hope we're bloody recording this. I was with the yes. engineer. Is it okay? We're getting this down. We're getting this down. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. Got it. it wow. So, in trance, his mission is just the first and only take? Well, mostly. I think he did a few punch ins. Punch ins, yeah, later. But, but wow. Um, basically the, the 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 it was basically he just you know he was ready to go he, he just he just did it 
And we and had then, no idea what, what the vocal melody would be. We had no, no idea what the lyrics would be. It was like this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A few so, others came out like that, but that was a really one I, I really remember. I remember that to my dying day. It was a wonderful yeah. Wow. You know, in the book. Yes. The book details really nicely, too, about how, like you were saying, he would write and record his lyrics so late in the process. The music's all basically done, and it's the last minute. And sometimes, like for theme for great cities, he decides it doesn't even need yeah, him. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't make it. And he said, you know, he just said, it's like, look, Steve, it's a, that thing sounds so fucking great. Let's leave it as an instrument. I said, okay. Yeah. So basically, I, uh, then I went away. Uh, pretty soon after, I went and mixed it, and um, I thought, well, okay, if there's no vocals. I'll try and sort of play up some of the echo effects and make, you know, and got a really good sound there, you know. You sure did. Classic. So and that was another, that was another that was another sort of uh, pointer on the road to System Seven that track because uh, really? it got. It became a hit in Ibiza in the oh. club, sort of 83, 84, and then someone remixed it, you know, so it, it was yeah. like... That's what, uh, that was one of the benchmarks that was kind of moving you in that direction. Yeah, there, was, there was another another step on the way. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Um, tell us again what the story is of why there are two separate albums that are sometimes lumped together and sometimes not. It, weren't they going to do one and then they decided they had more? good stuff than they thought and so they basically did an addendum to the album something like that uh, it was it was i think if you if you've read the book you'll understand it was a pretty difficult situation for me as a bit of a kind of like neophyte producer i mean this was this was my sort of like uh special forces training course i didn't I didn't find it very easy at all, but basically we had a budget to make an album, a single album, which would be like eight or the max, absolute max 10 tracks. They were quite long tracks, they're probably sure. eight tracks. And they came out with a bunch of such a 
bunch of material. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with them in the pre-production when they were coming up with this stuff. And it was a very creative time. And they come up, they came up with uh, you know a large much larger number of tracks. So I kept trying to think, well, look, we've got to choose a track. We're gonna to have to reject some of these. Maybe you can keep it for your next album. And, and they didn't want to. So in the end, the record company said, okay, we'll do it, we'll do two parallel albums. Mm. That's how it happened. I don't know whether that was a good move or not. I mean, the, all the music is quality. I'm it glad we just, have it all of just, it. Uh, it was just, uh, it was just how it had to be. You know. Yeah, yeah. But there's nothing. There's not a bad track there. You no, know, they all there's come. definitely not. And I no. think once, once they'd uh, done that whole body of work, I mean, it's a serious body of work. They'd done that with me. They 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 moved on to a slightly different thing and uh you know they were ready for the next stage and yeah. it all helped in uh making them what they are so yeah uh, that's true yeah I, have you stayed in touch or ever worked with them again or yeah i'm still friends with uh jim and Charlie. i actually did a bit of work with them in uh 2011 really yeah they what were kind they, of work they, 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 jim jim contacted me and he said that they had some songs and they they wanted they just wanted my input on them, so they came they came to my studio in London and made a load of demos. Wow! And uh, on for great. an album, I forget the name of the album now, but it was uh, an okay. album that was released in 2012, 2013. Uh, I think that would have been around Graffiti Soul period or Big Music. I think it was I think Graffiti Soul. Yeah, something music. Okay, big music is what it is music, then. It. And I think I got credit on the album. But oh, nice! I'll have to go back and look at my. Uh, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't planning on being the the main producer. Mm -hmm. You know, but I just uh, I was really happy to sort of uh, touch base with them, and we had a really good time, and we, we got on really well. Good. It's interesting. We've had a lot of connections with Jim because. He has a girlfriend that lives in Nice, which is the town where Maquette comes from. And, you know, and he went down to Nice to write stuff for one of his albums. And, you know, we've got, it. Yeah. We've got a good shared journey there. And good. Uh, we get on well. I love them. I wanted to ask you about real life. So early, early on within, I think, about the first year of doing the podcast, so six, seven years ago, I had David Sterry on here from Real Life. Oh, he, David, what a wonderful fellow. He is a wonderful fellow, and he, we've remained friendly ever since. And he actually... Oh, well, say hi to him from me. Say hi I to will. Him. In fact, I emailed him a couple of days ago to tell him I was talking with you. He sent over just some nice things about what, a, what an inspiring artist you are. And in fact, when he was first on, he I remember in our interview him saying, boy, wouldn't you love to talk to Steve Hillage? That would be amazing. And so I started <laughs> emailing you. And um, I did it, I think, through the System 7 e uh, website, and I never heard back. And so oh, I have no, actually been... Yeah, yeah, I don't see those, so... It happens all the time. Very, but I've been chasing bad. you for about six and a half years because David Sterry mentioned that it would be fun to have you on the show forever ago. So anyway, tell wow. me about working with David. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, the, the um, I think the the, first, the I worked, we worked with them on two occasions actually. Yeah. And the first one was um, it was a very sort of heady time because they had 
had this uh, what I think in Australia was an unexpected hit with Send Me an Angel. Right. And they and they wanted to get an album out super quick to uh, capitalize on the success. And uh, I don't know they hired me. I was on the plane, went out there, and it was a bit, bit of a roller coaster actually. Really? But I really enjoyed it. I love Heartland. Love That's a great album. Yeah, Heartland. Yes. I like yeah. that title track actually. Yes. I, I enjoyed that. It's got a good emotion to it. Classic. And then you come back, I think, after Send Me an Angel sort of blows up a second time in 1989 and work on the Lifetime album. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah. I can't, I can't remember the title of the album, but it, I went out again. It wasn't, wasn't so easy that time. Things were sort of like, it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the easiest. Not with the band, but with a record company. Sure, yeah. And they changed personnel uh, in some cases, but I enjoyed it as well. I yeah. Uh, Late time. Good. And I, well, I saw I saw I saw David in Australia again, and uh, Danny, 
when we went out, we did some System 7 shows out there. Really? That's great. He He's such a nice man, and he loves you. So anyway, fantastic I wanted to pass that along. Of, fantastic sense of humor. I mean, we had some great laughs. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Such a good guy. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you, too, about Cock Robin. Because this one, to me, feels like a little bit of an outlier. They They are so almost like polished and smooth. They reminds me, they remind me more of like simply red maybe than that. Not, not wild of, of Cock Robin reminds me more of simply red than simple minds. And you did like, you know, when your heart is weak is on that album. Why did they think you were the guy for them? Okay. Peter really liked the Simple Minds album. I think that's the thing that piqued his interest. Oh. And uh, I thought I thought they had some really great songs. They do. I really liked the sort of uh, slight uh, Hispanic influence mm. there. I loved the, but I just thought it were really great songs. I mean, there's one, there's quite a lot on that album, not just Heart, it's Weak. No, Promise You Made, Promise and, you made uh, is on there too. There's a track I call A Little Innocence. Of the hopeless, a gun 
You know that one? I actually love that track. I mean, I, I, I was listening to that just a few weeks ago. I love it. A Little Innocence on the album. Uh, yes, A Little Innocence. Sorry, yes. Really brilliant track. I mean, lyrics are great. The, the whole emotion of it is yes. really good. He can, and, he, uh, Peter and, uh, is. We, we, we hit a chord and I think we, we created something really good. I mean, what was really surprising about Cock Robin is that when we were doing it, we really thought it was going to be a big record in the US. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It did okay, but it was not a big record. But it went absolutely um, massive in France. Oh. And uh, also the Netherlands and Germany, but particularly France. Now, obviously, because Miquette and I know France really well. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was just extraordinary for us. And, wow. in fact, um, they, they, got, they did so well in France that Peter now lives in France. Does he? I didn't know that. Quite a few times over in France, you know. Wow. Yeah, well, we still get on. I'm, Good. It's, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy with my work as a producer. It can be quite a stressful um, thing, producing an album. Sure. But I've, I've always ended up with a really good friendship with the artists. I've yeah. I've done quite a lot of repeat work with artists. I've, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm happy about. You should be. I haven't actually done any repeat work with Peter, but we, we do get on really well. Good. And, uh, still keep in touch. Good. And, um, He's still doing it, you know. He's he's formed yeah. a, a kind of French-based lineup, and he's still doing gigs. And uh... that's great. Okay, there's a couple more that I want to ask you about. A couple that are kind of outliers. So, the Boom Boom Room. Didn't you do Here Comes the? You did that whole album, but it's got Here Comes the Man on it, right? Hey, yeah. That is a great song, and nobody knows that band. I, I think they, I don't know that they ever made a dent in the states. Aren't they from South Africa or something like that? No, they're from London. I think. Oh, are they? One, one guy was from South Africa, but they're basically a London band. Okay. It was one of many, many bands I produced, and uh, I thought it was good, but it didn't, it didn't, didn't really blow up. But no, my good friend Tim, who's South African, tough old game, tough old game. It, it is. My buddy Tim turned me on to them years and years ago, and I've loved it. And he's from South Africa, and so I thought there might be a tie there. It's a shame because that's such a great song. Here Comes the Man should have been 
much bigger on pop or at least alternative radio in the States, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Two more. The Charlatans. You did yeah. the Up To Our Hips album. I love that album. I especially love the feel flows. Talk about great instrumentals. Was that always intended to be an instrumental? Was it just a jam? How did that song come to be? You remember? Maybe I'm asking too many uh, questions. Think, uh, it's a little bit. It's a little bit like uh, theme for Great City. I think uh, Tim was toying with a vocal idea, but then he decided it wasn't wasn't quite cutting it, and he loved the he loved the groove. And uh, I think that was the one where I, I got. I, I think I got my friend to come and play the clavinet part mm. on. And, that kind of that kind of definitely gave it a bit an extra factor, and uh, yeah. so it, be, it remained an instrumental. Yeah, they had a that album has a slight kind of psychedelic feel to it. Did you did they bring you in specifically for that? They uh, yeah, I suppose in a way yeah. Okay, I mean, they knew, they knew who I was and uh -huh. they contacted me. And uh, I did some work on the, their follow-up album as well, which is uh, The Charlatans. Yeah. Quite a few of the tracks on that, although I, really? I, I wasn't able to complete that because I had a weird schedule snafu and it all got a bit awkward. But, oh. but again, they're another, they're another bunch I'll get on well with. I think you know, I'll rate them. You know, it was, they've had some difficulties. There's some difficult times. They've had members... Um, Maybe there was a guy in jail, right? Well, Rob, Rob was in jail. That was that. That happened. That's what I thought. Um, while you were there, while I was there, you know. And then, but then he, um, well, the court case was happening, and then, and then he died actually in a road accident. A bit, and uh, the drummer uh, no longer with us, John Greaves. It's, mm -hmm. But you know, they're still going, and Tim's yeah. still, you know, so. Tim's a national treasure now with those with the Twitter stuff. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever done one of his uh, listening parties? On no, Twitter? I've never participated in that. Uh, but I'm aware of it. Okay. Yeah, he's he's just a gift that keeps on giving now at this point. Um, okay, last one. I wanted to ask you about working with Tony Banks on the Banks Statement album. I don't need moonlight. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You two are like the gods of Prague, you know? The two of you together. <laughs> I'm imagining, I don't know that a room can contain the two, I, the ideas coming out of the two of your head. What is it like working with Tony Banks on that album? Because it's actually kind of a straightforward, almost pop rock album. It's not that rocky. I, 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 uh, well, you know, I think there's some good stuff on there, and I think we found some really good people with really good singers for him to work with, the people that I helped, helped find. Yeah. I, I found it a little frustrating in some respects. Is I was, I was wanting to actually go more, a bit more proggy. Mm. He was really keen to to do the pop songs, which uh, I, I was maybe a little less keen on. But he was probably he super jealous. He was reaching accommodation, like, and uh, there you go. That's that's yeah. what the record ended up with. <laughs> He's probably seeing Phil having giant hits, and Mike and the Mechanics having some hits, and he thought, "I want a piece of that. Why can't I have some?" Uh, who knows? I mean, they're, 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 they're very. They're a sort of massively successful band. I mean, they've got yeah. their own, sure, own optics sure. on things. But I mean, um, yeah, I could I could have handled a bit more sort of sophisticated prog on that album myself. I yeah, I bet. Um, okay, last question. I have never fully. It's not that I don't understand prog. I don't. I'm baffled that people choose to make prog rock music. Because my brain thinks in like three minute pop songs and riffs, but you, people like you, your, you know, Ian Anderson's been on here a few times and you, your brains work differently. And I think when you write a prog rock song, do you do it. What goes into that? Do you think this is missing from the radio and I want to supply it? Do you think I want to show off the new thing I learned musically? How does it work in your brain? Well, I think first thing, first point, mate, is when when most of us started, there wasn't such a thing as prog rock. Prog rock this term did not exist. Progressive rock, and people were really like enjoying experimentation and sort of long extended jams and also long convoluted pieces of music. Like uh, we were into things like Frank Zappa, mm -hmm. you know, and all kinds of stuff, and. Uh, it's a uh, you can write pieces of music that make short, punchy statements, but also it's nice to write things that have different sections and go on a journey. Mm -hmm. uh, that's basically it. Okay, okay. I uh, I admire it's more, it's more like classical music in a way. Yes, that's what I was like just it's thinking. Not, it's not intended to be as sort mm -hmm. of you know high culture as classical music. Yes. I'm not. That. But I mean, you know, symphonic music, you know, takes you on a journey. It takes starts at a certain point, go, has certain themes, goes through different sections. It's like going on, going into different rooms of a sort of magical mm. tour. You know? Ooh, I like the way I you that's say a, that. Yes. A, that's a, that's the basic uh, impetus for a, a long piece. I think that makes sense. Yeah. In the end, it's just what—it's just the ideas that come in your mind and the things that vibrate you, and that—that uh, because that, you know that's what it's quite a lot of labour putting together yeah. complex music, and you, 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 you know, what drives you—it's just this—you've got this idea, and you just 
You want to put it out. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, tell me about Rainbow Dome music. Because that it's basically two long songs that are almost meant to like meditate to or something. What was your intention? Rainbow Dome, that's kind of quite special. There's a long-standing exhibition in London called the Festival of Mind, Body and Spirit. And the guy who ran it in the 70s, we got to know, and he said, Steve, you know, we got this. I've got this exhibition, but there's all these different groups pushing different sort of ideas and cults and sort of philosophies. And I'd like to create a non a non aligned space where no one's pushing anything and people can just go and relax. This is mm -hmm. long before the uh, days of a chill out room or anything, but it was mm -hmm. somewhere there was the same same idea. And he said, uh, I'd like you to make some music for it that will play as a continual loop. And we've got uh, this um, sculpture guy who's making this thing out with moss and water that creates little rainbows. And uh, so we call this space the Rainbow Dome, mm. and we made the music to go in it. It was hence the Rainbow Dome music. Now and uh, that, that's basically it. We had it. Well, that was the idea. Mm -hmm. And um, we put a lot of spiritual energy into it. And uh, we just, Miquette and I, and also the, the sculptor guy, we went together into the country, into a cottage for a couple of weeks with a recorder, recording system. And we just sort of blasted it. And that's what came out. And, beautiful. Uh, really happy with it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, okay, I have to ask. It feels very much like psychedelics have been a part or an influence or an inspiration in your music all along. Were they and are they still? Well, yes, they've been a big influence, but strictly, uh, specifically speaking about Roma Dominion, no, no drugs were taken at okay. any point in making that music. Intentionally, we wanted to go, we wanted to really make it a, a really genuine, non-aligned, meditative work. And we actually had... Um, a link with a with um with a medium who was sending us energy. This is the this is the real bloody deal. And we okay. I didn't think like smoking pot or taking any kind of psychedelic would be appropriate, so we didn't. 
And there were periods when we did and periods where we didn't. But, I mean, mm. periods when we did were fucking great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> periods when we didn't, also great. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I would say that um, for the last uh, 20 years or so, I've pretty much not done anything whatsoever. Really? Nice wine. I like nice yeah. wine. Sure. That's it. Wow. So when you see all those kids raving at the rage, you, you know, taking the drugs and just feeling it, it's, you stay straight the whole time. Well, obviously it's, it's clearly when you're doing like complex, uh, complex manipulation of synthesizers and DJ decks, it's not mm-hmm. particularly good to be off your head, you know? You, good point. <laughs> good point. You, yeah. You know, you need to be like on it, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, you're creating experience for them. They can take uh, whatever they like or not. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't mind, you know. But, I mean, yeah. um, personally, I'm, I'm not I'm, – I don't, I don't require any kind of uh, yeah. stimulation. I've got my, 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 my way of getting ideas and the That's ideas right. still coming and uh, great. But, I mean, I'm, I fully embrace the fact that, that – uh, Working uh, in the past with uh, mushrooms, acid, large amounts of pot taking, mm-hmm. even the old bit of cocaine has been helpful. You know, mm-hmm. I embrace mm-hmm. that, but I don't sure. do that now. Okay. Okay. Last question. Tell me your favorite story. Have you ever interacted with, I don't know, your favorite gig, hearing yourself in the radio? powwowing with a peer that you admire do you have like a favorite story from all these years uh oh well, i mean i'll just tell you one it's not it's not actually okay. my story it's uh david allen of gong when he was in the soft machine before mm-hmm. Gong. they were managed by mike jeffries who's also the manager of jimmy hendrix mm. and he did quite a lot of gigs with hendrix and one day he was uh, in a club in London and he was in the, in the toilet having a pee and Jimmy came in to do the same and Jimmy looked at him and he said, stay with your thing, man, stay with your thing. And David said that was the best piece of advice he ever heard. Hey, if Jimmy says so, do it, right? <laughs> well, it's good. Stay with your thing. I mean, you just... Keep at it. That's great. That's great. Well, thanks for everything you've put in the world, Steve. It means a lot to a lot of us. Thank you very much for being you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I hope it yeah. uh, works out okay. It was great. All right, there you have it. Steve Hillage. What a guy, right? I Incidentally, I did this interview the same day as Trevor Horn. That was kind of a mind-blowing day, talking to Trevor Horn and Steve Hillage on the same day. Uh, yeah, that's a lot to take in. Anyway, I wanted to close it out. So think again for a minute. The song that we played at the very beginning is him at the height of his solo prog career. Now we're talking about System 7 here. This is a song called Positive Noise. The same guy did all of this stuff. Not to mention Gong, which is just totally trippy and out there. It's quite a ride, Steve Hillage. Anyway, okay, so next week's guest, in fact, the next few weeks, uh, probably two, three, maybe four weeks, are with people who are primarily known 
as singer-songwriters, I think you would say. And next week's guest is someone who, if I remember correctly, last year on Spotify, their songs were streamed 783 million times, I believe. And that's who our guest is next week. You might be surprised by this because this person fronted a band that was decent sized in the 90s and now is like one of the biggest go-to songwriters in the world. That's who's coming up next week. Also, there should be another book club coming out later this week with a giveaway. And uh, so look for that in your feed probably on the weekend. Huge thanks as always to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. Folks, you can like our page. You can send us, a, uh, on Facebook anyway, you can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. I think that's it for now. Thanks, folks. We love you.